Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. Lieutenant Colonel Karen Kwiatkowski joins us now. Karen, it's always a pleasure. Uh, welcome back here. You have a great piece in LouRockwell.com, which obviously is tongue-in-cheek because it's entitled Joe Biden is actually a great uh, peacemaker. Uh, but just the looking at it uh, big picture, there are a lot of people in the Congress who believe that uh, war is good for the economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it destroys things. <laughs> uh, it uh, it raises the debt. We all know that. But which is the path to, pros- to economic prosperity, war or peace? Should be an obvious answer. Yeah. Yep. Well, of course. I mean, uh, the, the broken window fallacy, I think, is embraced by most of Congress. You know, you break something and you have to pay to fix it, then that stimulates the economy in some way. And they don't ever consider the... The unseen costs, which, of course, with war are um, both seen and unseen. I mean, you know, we look at the the uh, looking at Ukraine. I mean, the deadly loss of, of a whole generation of people, um, their environment, uh, you know, their their society is broken. Terrible costs that we can see. And then there's the unseen costs. What could we have done with uh, a couple hundred billion dollars of American taxpayer funds? Um I mean, I'd like to see the debt paid down, but but there's plenty of better things we could have done with that money, starting with keeping it in people's pockets. But ah, uh, you read my mind. <laughs> keeping it, keeping in the keeping it in the taxpayers' pocketbook. Exactly. The government, of course, would never uh, would never think that way. I mean, just before we get uh, along this path, I have to ask you something in your article that intrigued me because I'd never heard it before. Did Joe Biden actually say? that his goal was in the next 10 years to have armored vehicles and tanks run by electricity. Is he that deep into the climate change nonsense that he would jeopardize the lives of our troops on the field if a battery ran down? Yeah, well, he did He did uh, qualify that by saying he would have the tanks as hybrids so they could charge with the diesel, I guess, as they're going along. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can under believe what Joe Biden says. I mean, he is a part of a machine of government, and, but that machine embraces, uh, you know, this uh, fake environmentalism of uh, battery powered everything. And, um, and again, there's another example of the costs that are unseen. You know, we can't dispose of these batteries. We get the lithium, whether we're fighting wars over it or children in the Congo are digging it for us. I mean, that's an unseen 
cost, an unseen uh, terrible you know, waste of not just energy, but it harms the environment. And yet that's seen as the greenest thing you can possibly do. In fact, you should be condemned if you don't support it. So talk about unseen costs. The Republicans in the House, the Democrats in the Senate, the president in the White House, uh, they're about to add $1.6 to our debt. Gee, aren't you glad that the Republicans took control of the oh, yeah. House so as to restrain spending? I mean, this Speaker yeah. Mike Johnson <laughs> and these uh, folks in the House on the Republican side have just agreed to virtually the same deal that Kevin McCarthy and Mrs. Pelosi agreed to, which was enough to kick Kevin McCarthy from the speakership. And of course, he since... Uh, has left Congress. But do you think they understand the hidden costs of $34 trillion in debt, $1 trillion a year in debt service, interest on the debt? Well, they're going to they're gonna feel it when, they, when it starts to eat into their uh, so-called disposable income. But honestly, I, I, think, uh, I think they are grifters. I think um, at, at heart, every member of Congress, for the most part, is a grifter. And so that person is looking out for what is good for me and that for a congressman, that means what's good for my uh, district always in the short run. I mean, a grifter is not known for, you know, building anything. Grifters grift off what other people have built. And that's what our Congress is. It's filled with people like that. So their perspective is I don't need to worry about the future cost of what I'm doing right now. Um, I'm not going to pay it back. And I, and I think individually, of course, they're not going to pay it back, but I also think this country is not going to pay it back. And then what happens then? Because, um, you know, our, our, our dollar is already a little bit vulnerable, less popular than it was, not backed by anything. We have all this debt. If they default, and I don't mean the government is put in default, but if we start defaulting in a, in a number of different ways that they can do it, um, you know, what is that going to do to our country? And certainly it makes right. us less secure. It makes the country more vulnerable, both internally and externally. I happen to think that, uh, uh, your your grandchildren, I don't have any grandchildren, your grandchildren uh, will see the federal government collapse from its own weight. It simply won't be able to pay its bills and it won't be able to borrow money and nobody will uh, trust it and no one will want to work for it. Something will replace it. Uh-huh. Maybe we'll break apart into 10 republics. Yeah. Those who happen to uh, live in, this, in Texas will probably have more freedom than those of us who are living, have the misfortune of living in the Northeast, but we will break apart mm-hmm. to 10 semi-autonomous republics because uh, the government, like the dinosaurs, will die of their own weight. Yeah, no, that's absolutely going to happen. Uh, it's it's going to happen, and I think I'm going to live to see it myself, and of course my grandchildren will live through it. Um and it'll be a good thing. But one of the things that I am noticing, and I know many people are noticing, is that the various states, um, obviously Texas, but a lot of other states are looking at what their assets are, what is under their control. And they're actually starting to assert themselves a little bit, thinking more uh, nationally at this state level. They're, they're thinking about what do we do? Could we rely on FEMA, for example? And any state that's had a disaster has not really had a good impression of the FEMA response, right? Correct. Um, so many of these states, I would say out of the 50 states, um, probably 30 or 40, and they're not just the ones run by Republican governors. It's, it's, it's irrelevant to the politics. But I would say about 30 states have already experienced a number of bad relationships with the federal government. And they are thinking 
the people there are thinking and their politicians, their legislators are thinking about how do we prevent this from happening again? And one of the big ways, of course, is do not be dependent on uh, don't don't be dependent on the federal right, handout, right. but also resist the federal government's um, so-called mandates and orders, because as the federal government becomes more panicked and we're living through that right now, the federal, our federal government is extremely panicked. That's why we have a, a robust surveillance state. Uh, they are they are insanely worried about what's going to happen and they're going to lose their power. They see that on the they see the writing on the wall with that. But um, many of these many of these states are pushing back against uh, central authority in a number of different ways. And even I even see it with California, even with the Marxist over the, who is the uh, governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, Gavin, Gavin Newsom, Gavin during, Newsom yeah. during the Trump years. I remember discussing this. Uh, with uh, President Trump when he was in the White House during the Trump years, because his response was typical. Uh, Gavin Newsom and the and the crazy lefties that run California thought about seceding from the union. So he said to me on the phone, why don't I just let them go? Let them just get the hell out of here. I said, well, that'll be terrific. You'll lose a lot in income taxes. He said, oh, oh, I forgot about that. I, I Okay, I, I better think twice before I make a statement like Gavin, yeah. just go. <laughs> well, I don't want to get into into secession too deeply. Yeah. But Vermont and Texas were independent countries before they became states of the union. Yeah. And they negotiated treaties with the US which governed their entry and those treaties expressly reserved the right to leave. Yeah. To secede. Sure. Now that was before the war between the states and, and the attitude about the federal government was different in those days. But every once in a while, you see a secession movement bubbling up yeah. in those two states. You can Google it. You can look it up. They absolutely reserved that right to secede, which was considered yeah. standard at the time when the yeah. 13 colonies became 13 states and then became the United States of America. Five of them said, we're going to go along with this Constitution. But if you don't add a Bill of Rights, we're going to leave. Yeah. Ah, and the others knew that they could leave because secession was a given uh, at the time. So they yeah. very quickly, James Madison, wrote and ratified uh, the Bill of Rights. Um, is Joe Biden a war criminal, Karen Kwiatkowski? <laughs> of course. Yeah, he, he definitely is a war criminal, but he's not alone amongst American presidents that would qualify for that. But certainly Joe is um, a war criminal. Um, I think, in terms of uh, uh, fostering what has happened in Ukraine. And of course, you Obama started that. This, you know, this is something, it's a long-term uh, deep state elite government pursuit, which is to, uh, you know, to destroy Ukraine and turn it into a, uh, a vassal state for us and, and for maybe for Europe. Um, that's, that is criminal. You know, there was no declaration of war, and yet we are at war with Russia through a proxy that we are lying to on a daily basis about its role. Um, to me, that's criminal. Now, I imagine, I don't know the law, but I imagine there are some things you can uh, you can pull from that, and certainly deaths of people. Now, when it comes to what's happening in Israel and Gaza, we are backing that up. We are funding it. We are providing the material, the uh, material of war, the bombs, the aircraft. There's two squadrons of F-35s over there. Um, now, they may have purchased those F-35s, most likely with our money, because part of the military aid program that we've had for 40 years. Um, but we are as vulnerable to a legal charge of uh, war criminality, uh, uh, 
genocide, any of these various international court terms as Israel is. And of course, a very detailed uh, indictment, I guess, against Israel came out of South Africa and it listed and identified many of those things. And I think the United States is uh, as guilty well, 90% is guilty, and it depends. Well, I, I would push it to 100 if we knew right. I mean, in advance Israel, that it was going to happen, which I is, can't Israel is the easier uh, case to prove because the United States is funding uh, the war, yeah. uh, and it is rather obvious if you read that South African complaint. It's just a complaint. However, it is based upon open-source facts of, of deaths, open source facts about the intent of the Israeli government, words out of the mouths of the Israeli officials. Oh, sure. Uh, president uh, or former prime minister, former general Ehud Barak is going to defend Israel. I should say attempt to defend Israel in the uh, International Court of Justice on Thursday. I don't know what conceivable uh, defense he has. However, the uh, treaty against genocide to which Israel and the United States are parties and the United Nations Charter both define genocide in addition to the act of attempting to eliminate a, a racial or cultural or ethnic group. Funding, the knowing funding of the elimination of a racial, racial ethnic or cultural group by violence. Mm -hmm. uh, it is clear that Joe Biden well, who knows what he knows? Yeah. It is clear that the United States government uh, is funding uh, genocide and could yeah. easily be a defendant in this uh, litigation. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You know, this is not a criminal prosecution. It's just a declaration of violation of international law, which will further humiliate Israel. Right now, Israel has only one friend amongst international uh, uh, actors, and that's the United States. Mm -hmm. This is uh, from so one of the documents backing up uh, the case. 15,000 people were killed. It's now up to 22,000. You can't, you can't get a document out that is accurate because the number of deaths uh, keeps uh, keeps going up. Uh, I think this can be catastrophic for Israel, which has already lost the PR war, uh, mm -hmm. but this will further isolate it, don't you? Yeah, it's definitely, we're seeing that, obviously that isolation is happening. They've lost um, some erstwhile neighbor, neighborhood friends and, and trading allies. Those guys are gone. Turkey, Saudi Arabia, they, they can't count on any of those anymore. They're turning away from Israel. And with this Red Sea operation, um, a lot of the trade going into Israel, one of the big carriers said, we're not shipping 
anything else into Israel. That's it. We're done until this thing is straightened out. And right. um, so the impact on Israel, you know, the Israeli economy, plus the impact of war. And, and this is an economy that is uh, somewhat dependent on United States gifts, not just government gifts that we give, but uh, the gifts of uh, is American Israelis and, and Israelis around the world who help subsidize Israel's economy. And then you have the economy itself, which is a wartime economy, meaning much of the energies and the imagination and the skill sets of the people, the spirit of the people is wasted in right. a defense that's been you know, made up really to kind of this, this uh, I think, an artificial defense posture in many ways. And of course, they would say, oh, of course, you know, we have, we're surrounded by enemies. It's not an artificial defense posture. Well, turn your enemies into your friends and you don't have that problem. And they refuse to do that. Uh, one of our uh, uh, writers or viewers reminds me that the, the official death toll is now north of 24,000 in Gaza. Going back to uh, Ukraine, uh, I'm going to play an interesting clip for you from a former Ukraine ambassador to Russia who was one of the negotiators in Istanbul when they came to an agreement. That's the agreement that was blocked by Boris Johnson uh, and Joe Biden. Uh, it's it's interesting to hear what he has to say about how much Vladimir Putin wanted the agreement. Take a listen to this, Karen. And to my mind, very quickly, after invasion in 24 of February last year, he very quickly understood his historical mistake. And I was in that moment in the group of Ukrainian negotiators. We negotiated uh, with Russian delegation practically two months, in March and April, the possible peaceful settlement agreement between Ukraine and Russia. And we, as you remember, concluded so-called Istanbul communique. And we were very close in the middle of April, in the end of April, to finalize our war with some peaceful settlement. For some reasons, it was postponed. But to my mind, Putin, this is my personal view, Putin in one week after started his aggression in 24 February last year, very quickly understood he did mistake and tried to do everything possible to conclude agreement with Ukraine. Possible to conclude an agreement with Ukraine from the mouth of the Ukrainian, one of the Ukrainian negotiators. That was December 22nd last year. So that was just uh, two and a half weeks ago oh, wow. that he made those statements at a, uh, at a conference in, uh, in Geneva. How profound was the error of the United States and the United Kingdom to have interfered in that negotiation. Oh yeah, now there's to me that that's uh, criminal um, to promote a war where others die and others pay for it uh, when peace was almost in their hands. I mean, if this what this guy is saying is we had a peace deal ready to go, all sides agreed, and it was good for you know it seems like it was something Ukraine was going to accept also. Um, and you know what? What's what this what this shows is that we don't live in a world that is static. You know, at that time, that was the time to grab for peace. We refuse to let that happen. Um, now, when the peace comes, Ukraine will lose a lot because Russia is not the same Russia that it was. Its military is in much, much better shape. It's not using mercenaries. It's using its regular forces. Its military production 
has geared up wonderfully. It has survived Western sanctions and thrived. That's different than two years ago. So all of that could have been prevented. If we cared about, if, if our leadership cared about what they say they care about, we would have, that, that peace would have happened. And Russia would not have exercised its military strength and its strategy and its uh, mobilization of society that it did. So this is, uh, this is the cost of stupidity. Right. Right. So, so since Boris Johnson flew to Kiev and said, uh, Joe and I, meaning uh, President Biden, uh, will back you up. Don't go along with this nonsense. Don't cave uh, to him. Uh, 10 million Ukrainians have fled the country. And as you pointed out, Karen, a half a million young Ukrainian men are either dead or so disabled uh, that they can't go back to the military. Now, if that war ended tomorrow and Ukraine attempted to return to its normal economic activity, there's a whole generation of young men, whether taxi drivers or factory workers or farmers or teachers or students that are gone, that are not there to operate those levers of economic activity. That's right. Then you can't get that back. That's the whole generation lost and it can't, it's not going to come back. And those that are injured um, will require uh, state-funded care. I mean, that's pretty well, you know, what, what happens. Um, they're going to need help all their lives. They will not be, most of them, the injured, will not be uh, productive in the sense that they would have been. And, and uh, you know, we also have in modern warfare, uh, we are, even in Ukraine, you know, we can save people. And so, you know, the, the kind of injuries that people can survive in modern war are horrendous. So, Many of these people, in terms of an economic product productivity, they have none. They are going to be burdens on what's left. And what's left is, you know, what the women and the children who come back without fathers and brothers. Um, many of them are not coming back anyway. The European, many of the European uh, uh, refugee, the Ukrainians who are living in Germany and Poland and elsewhere, uh, they don't plan to come back because they're smarter than we are. They understand that what has been done to Ukraine is really irrevocable. Um, it's, it's going to take uh, more than one generation to uh, even get it back to where it was. And it wasn't you know, we, place before. We, we were uh, being a little sarcastic earlier about, aren't you glad that the Republicans took control of the House and then look at what they did? Well, at the same time that, uh, that Speaker Johnson announced the $1.6 trillion funding of the government for the next eight months uh, that the Democrats are applauding, uh, he said, and we'll probably be able to get that $68 billion to Ukraine as well. Oh, good My Lord. Goodness. What will the Ukrainians do with the $68 billion? They are Their government is a shadow uh, of its former self. You might as well just put it into the yeah. bank accounts of the people that have, that have been stealing it. They, they yeah. need human beings to man the, uh, the, the military. They are on their last leg. That $68 yeah. billion would be... I mean, this, listening to Lindsey Graham on this is just catastrophic. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, we also fund the entire civil government, the civil sector. Correct. Correct. We pay for the Veterans that. Administration hospitals. Yes. So these guys um, in, in Ukraine, those who are able to get their hands on uh, some of this aid, whether it's USAID or anybody else's aid, they are they they see the writing on the wall they're much more in touch with the future of their own country than we will ever be 
and uh, that money will disappear into pockets. And some of those pockets will save lives of certain government bureaucrats, and some of those pockets will enrich uh, some of the oligarchs or their relatives. Um, but that money will disappear, and it will be for nothing. And I, I would be delighted if um, the American people understood that. I think many of them do understand that it's like throwing dollar bills on a fire so you can watch right. it burn. So I want to tell you something nice. I received um, a text from one of the viewers. You know, they don't always use their names. A lot of them have these uh, handles uh, that are a little off the wall. So I won't even repeat this person's handle, but she said she runs a girl's school. And a lot of young women are watching, Judge, to see what it's like to be a colonel in the Air Force and a lady. Wow. <laughs> oh, I thought you'd want to know that. Thank you. I'm glad you shared that. That's interesting. And and it is, it is important. Um, I want to skip back just a little bit because you're talking about what we see, what we can imagine. That's what we can do. And that's what right. she's, that's what this writer is talking about. But when we talk about secession and we don't talk about it much, but the states and the legislators and the people are all thinking about what is possible. And this is why Texas having, you know, had a treaty, Vermont having had a treaty and other states who have talked about how can we be more independent of uh, a Washington DC that we don't agree with. And under Trump, that was democratically run states and under Biden, it's Republican states, but it, ends up covering most of the states. But if we can imagine it, we can do it. Um, if we can see it in, in part, we can take steps towards that. And that's why I'm very confident that, uh, that we will see uh, a successful series of secession movements in this country. Maybe not completely in my lifetime, but it's going to happen for sure. And if young ladies want to be smart colonels in the Air Force, imagine it and they can do it. That's exactly right. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Colonel Kwiatkowski. Thank you, ladies, for uh, watching. Uh, we'll see you again. It's a pleasure, Karen. It's an absolute pleasure to work with you. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Absolutely. Okay, thanks. Okay. Coming up for the rest of the week, Scott Ritter, Colonel McGregor, Professor uh, Mearsheimer, uh, Professor Sachs, uh, Scott Horton, or one of his colleagues, Kyle uh, Anzalone, uh, Phil Giraldi, and, of course, the Intelligence Roundtable at the end of the week. Thank you, my dear friends. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom.